We are looking at John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, which Alyssa very kindly read to us. Before we look at um, these verses, why don't we pray? Father God, as we listen to your word, as you speak to us through your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will open up, open up our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've been walking along, maybe a fairly busy junction, crossroad, maybe where the speed limit comes down from, I don't know, 50 down to 30. Um, Just a busy junction. And you've come across, whether you're driving as a motorist, you're walking along as a pedestrian, and you've seen a sign, a usually metal, yellow metal, A-framed sign, put there by the um, local constabulary, the police force, and it usually has accident, and blow it, the time, you know, where the accident took place, and it says something along the lines of, please contact Cambridge Police or Metropolitan Police, whatever else it is. And, you know, clearly there's been an accident, a motoring accident, maybe between another car, maybe um, involving a pedestrian. Maybe the police um, are thinking that someone's been driving recklessly or dangerously, and they want witnesses. They want to know what's happened. Um, I think the last time I can remember coming across uh, one of these uh, signs calling for witnesses was probably at the junction, if you know the Iron Bridge in Huntingdon, Ermine Street and St. Peter's Road, that junction there, traffic light there. I think that's, and it wasn't anything to do with me. I was just walking past, but I think that's the last time I could remember seeing one of these. And the reason I mention this is as we've been going through John's Gospel, Time and time again, we see that Jesus will make statements, um, a teaching, quote, um, scripture, talk about who he is, why he has come, who his father is. And all the time, we have the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They're all saying, says who? How do you back that up? Why do you say that? Where's the witness to what you say? And as we uh, look at um, this um, chapter 8, verses 12 to 30, we'll see exactly the same thing is happening here. He's going to be, he'll make, Jesus will make statements, and the Pharisee, the teachers of the law, they will keep on saying, says who, why? How, why do you make that statement? How is How do you come to say these things? What authority have you got? So, that is the sort of background as to why I mentioned this whole thing about witnesses and people saying what has or or hasn't happened. So, let's say, first of all, we're looking at verses 12 um, to 20, a gracious invitation. So at the beginning of verse 12, if you've got your Bible there, probably have a look at that. 
we read, when Jesus spoke to the crowd. That can be literally translated as, again, therefore, he spoke to them, which tells us that Jesus is actually responding to what had happened in chapter 7, um, around chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 30, all the way through to verse 52. I mean, if you want to, you can just scan across if you've got a, a print um, copy of the Bible. If you've got it on your tablets or your phones, well, you're on your own. You can, I'm sure you can find it. But, <clears throat> you know, and what had happened there was Jesus had gone up to the temple. It was the Festival of the Tabernacles, one of the three main Jewish festivals at the um, temple in Jerusalem. And people had, as they'd listened to Jesus' teaching in the temple courts, they'd been asking themselves, who is this? Is this a prophet, the Messiah? Some people had tried to seize him. They failed. Um, The Pharisees were, and the teachers of the law, and the chief priests, they they, um, sent the temple guards to um, seize Jesus. You see that in verse 32, um, chapter 7. And then the temple guards come back, and in verse um, 47, chapter 7, you know, they, say, they come back empty-handed, and, and, you know, um, and they say, well, we've never heard anybody speak like this. And, you know, the Pharisees and the chief priests, you know, they're incensed. They call the crowd who are listening to Jesus a mob who know nothing of the law. They're contemptuous of them. And... Um, these questions are resounding, reverberating around. Who is Jesus? Why does he say what he says? So as we've come into uh, chapter 8, verses 12 to 20, as I say, a gracious invitation. The temple is still um, the scene. The narrative is still continuing at the temple in Jerusalem. The, um, The Feast of Tabernacles is coming to its end, to a climax. And so that is the background here. Um, And the two great rituals or symbols in the um, festival, known as the Festival of Tabernacles or Festival of the Booths, one was water and one was light. So last week in chapter 7, we heard Jesus say, let everyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. And and more than likely, the background to him making that statement was that um, a flagon of water from the Pool of Siloam um, in Jerusalem was processed to the temple. The chief priest poured it out, a symbolic ritual pouring out. And no doubt that led to uh, Jesus saying, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And the other um, marking the end of this festival was um, light. So at the closing of the celebration, there was a setting alight of four oil-filled, elevated bowls um, in the temple courts. And it was accompanied by men um, with torches, um, singing and dancing. So this was the sort of climax of it. And so, and this light-based um, ritual celebration looked ahead in hope to God's anointed one, the Christ, 
the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom of God. So this is the backdrop to the second gracious invitation that Jesus makes in the temple um, at this festival of tabernacles as it comes again. So look again at verse 12 of chapter 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is a rich symbol in Scripture um, throughout it. Um, Remember how the people of Israel are led out of slavery from Egypt, and it's a, a pillar of cloud, and then at night, it's um, a pillar of light, uh, a pillar of fire, light. Remember Isaiah, he says, um, the servant of the Lord will be a light to the Gentiles. Just coming to John's gospel, the prologue, that's the the first 15 verses of chapter 1, the one you will um, probably hear if you go to one of those um, carol sets, nine um, readings and nine carols whether you like it or not, I do, but you'll hear that. And in um, verse 9, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And it was a long time ago, probably about 30-odd years ago, so my wife, Sue Jane, and I, and they were young at the time, used to go off to... um, her parents who lived in Wales, in Brecon Beacons. And they lived in an old forge. Well, it wasn't still a forge. It had been converted into a house. But it was a 16th, or 16th 17th century forge. And um, obviously, because it was so old, the, the bathroom and the kitchen was all, you know, a more modern extension to it. And, you know, I can remember, you know, it was pitch black. Um, there was no street lighting. I have been caving twice, and twice is more than enough. So I, I have known darker experiences, but this was pretty dark. And when you sort of in the middle of the night, you want to get up and go to the bathroom, go to the loo. I can always remember we were sort of, you know, getting up, trying to make as little noise as possible, and you just knew that you would start, you know staggering around, knock over one of the ornaments on the landing. You knew that the step you trod on would make the most noise or else you missed it completely. Um, You're just crashing and sort of um, just falling about the place as much as you were trying to make as little noise as possible, you know, just stagger and stumble in the darkness. And that's actually a picture of a human condition, isn't it? We've all said no to uh, the one true God. We've said no. Um, we'll live life on our terms. We won't. The one who's known us and has created us, has loved us before the world began, the one who is the rightful king of our lives, we've said no to. And whilst I can look back at, you know, stumbling blindly around in the dark in, at night trying to get to the loo in this Welsh cottage a certain element of amusement. It really isn't that amusing or funny, the human condition, when we're in the darkness on that hell-bound race, um, stumbling and staggering about in the dark. And that is, you know, our condition. Turn to 
um, John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. That's um, page 1066 of the church Bibles. Just flick back over there. Let me read that verse. Just hearing a few pages still being flicked over, which is good. Shows that you're following me still. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for that, uh, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So this gracious invitation Jesus makes, I am the light of the world. Although it's implied, it's quite subtle here. This is how John often writes in his gospel. Sometimes has double meanings. But what it means here, even here, even here as early as chapter 8, is that if we want to come to God, the Father, we do so by accepting this invitation from the light of the world, from Jesus. You know, accepting God means accepting the Father and accepting the Son. Say, it's still... Um, Implied, It's quite subtle here. And probably as the people are listening to um, Jesus in the temple precincts, they're probably lining him up with, probably above all else, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. But nonetheless, you can see even here in chapter 8. And later on, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus will say far more clearly, far more explicitly, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, chapter 12, look at it again. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So this is no less, at this stage, the promise of rescue, salvation, eternal life. And, you know, we see that. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 8, you will die in your sins. That's what he says to the Pharisees, who, because of their, their darkened minds, they are the ones who don't want, come, don't want to come out of the light. Then look at verse 24. You will die in your sins if you do not follow me. Then look at verse 28 of chapter 8, the section we're looking at. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you know, when that happens, that's when Jesus, when the Christ is crucified. That's, you know, this is all pointing to that rescue, God's, uh, God's um, salvation plan. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together, bring about the rescue of those who put their trust in the Son, in the Messiah, in the Anointed One. So we can see, you know, what John is saying in these verses here in chapter 8. It is about rescue, salvation. It's about eternal life. So, how do the Pharisees who are listening to this in the temple courts, how do they react to that? 
It's predictable, really, isn't it? Just a further opportunity to engage in these verbal sparrings, skirmishes, trying to trip Jesus up. Ironically enough, though, in so doing, um, they just display their own ignorance. Um, as I say, preferring that darkness, not to come out of the darkness into the light that comes through Jesus, but remaining in the dark. Because we said, those who remain in the dark, it's because of their evil deeds. So have a look at verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And I guess, possibly, you could see the logic of the argument. You know, Jesus has just said, I am the light of the world. Who says he's the light of the world? Well, he just said he's the light of the world. Um, and maybe the Pharisee are just thinking they're going to sort of trip Jesus up, catch him out, turn the tables on Jesus, because it's something Jesus said earlier on in John's Gospel. If you flick back to chapter 5, verse 31, that's page 1069, so not that far back. Just flick back there. Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. So, and Jesus is referring here to the principle in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. You know, a witness was not to be believed when testifying about themselves. You know, two or three witnesses were needed regarding matters of the truth. But as we sort of follow these discussions, arguments, verbal sparring, whatever you want to call it, there's a higher principle here, isn't there? There's a, you know, um, something overturns their objections. You know, how does Jesus respond? Take a look at verse 14. I know where I came from, where I'm going. Later on, you'll say, you are from below, I'm from above. You know, Jesus is the God-man, uh, fully God and fully man. He's incarnate God. So there can be no higher authority. The argument, argument can't go any further than God. So in that sense, his testimony, of course, is valid. He is the Son of God, sent by Father God. His testimony of that is valid. And the Father and Son are in unison. Everything they say, the Father has told the Son. The Son tells what the Father has told him. There's this unity. So the Pharisees are mistaken because they judge by human standards, human arguments. But to answer the Pharisees' objection, Jesus then states that, um, yeah, he does have another witness. We see that there in verse 18. Take a look. I am one who testifies for, my, um, to, for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So he and the Father are in agreement in all things, as we saw in verse 16. You know, just to uh, make it absolutely clear, to emphasize the point, um, 
In verse verse 19, Jesus tells a Pharisee in reply to their question about his father, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Do you see that? You know, when Jesus and the father together, there is this unison. They are together. What Jesus says, he has heard from the father. You know, and this is provocative stuff. Jesus is saying, the Father and I are one. Jesus is God. Again, at this stage, it's implied, it's subtle. But nonetheless, that is what we have here. To know Jesus is to know the Father, God, as well. Not only is this provocative, in the temple courts, with crowds around him in Jerusalem, To the Pharisees, this is blasphemous as well. So why don't they seize him? They have been plotting, that's the Pharisee, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, the high priests, to kill Jesus all the way back as far as chapter 5 of John's Gospel. Verse 20 tells us, doesn't it? Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And we come across that um, phrase time and time again in John's Gospel. So we've been thinking about this gracious invitation that Jesus makes, calling us to follow him, come out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It's a call to turn around and put your trust in Jesus, turn in repentance and faith. And if we're a Christian here today, that is exactly because the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts and minds to bring us to Father God through the Son of God, Jesus the Son. And that's a wonderful thing if that has occurred. Um, But also, verse 12 tells us, it says follow. Now follow means it's not just something you it's done and that's it. It's a continuation, isn't it? You keep on. We first come to faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's the beginning, not the end, isn't it? If you look at verse 31 of chapter 8, so it's just below where we finished. Um, and I'm sure you'll look at it more closely next week. Um, this, is what Je- to vo- this is what Jesus says to those Jews who had believed. Jesus said, He holds my teaching. You are really my disciples. So, as I say, we make very much and quite rightly of when people turn and put their trust in Jesus. We have people give their testimonies how they became a Christian. But, you know, the faith that keeps a believer is faith in exactly the same gospel that saves us in the beginning. We don't add anything to it. We don't move on from that. Um, the Church of England, um, in one of their services, they used to have a prayer which everyone said, um, and it went something like this, fight valiantly against sin, the world, and the devil. It's no longer part of that service, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Um, but I think that's a really great prayer. Fight valiantly against sin, the world, and the devil. They say, we turn in repentance and faith. We turn 
around, put our trust in Jesus. But it's, then we continue, don't we? It's a fight. It's a battle against sin, the world, and the devil. And this is, you know, it says follow. And because by nature we're blind, aren't we? Unable to see. You know, we still need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So, a gracious invitation. Next, and we're looking at verses 21 to 30. A gracious warning. So we're here looking at verses 21 to 30. You know, the confrontation the, in, this, in the temple court, you know, this verbal sparring, you know, continues between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the crowd in the temple courts, they're listening to these exchanges and no doubt, no doubt trying to follow these um, exchanges. So having made this gracious invitation to all who would believe, Jesus now gives a gracious warning to them, and particularly to the Pharisee. Gracious, because we see Jesus arguing with them. Despite the ignorance of the Pharisees, their blindness, their willful, deliberate, or otherwise, um, attitude of not listening, not believing what Jesus said. But it's Although it's gracious, Jesus engages, he argues with the Pharisee. It's a warning nonetheless. Take a look at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. And then verse 24. I told you that you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. And what's the response of the listeners? Take a look at verse 22. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go? He ca- we cannot come? And you know, again, we see here that sort of moral and spiritual dyslexia, if I can put it like that, um, displayed by the Pharisees here. These misunderstandings, deliberate or otherwise, this ignorance, this unbelief we see time and time again from the Pharisee. When Jesus said he was um, going away, he's not contemplating killing himself. He's referring to when he returns to the Father. And did you notice at the end of verse 21, Jesus says, that you will look for me, but where I go, you cannot come. That's to the Pharisee. Why? Because the only way to the Father is by believing in the Son, in Jesus. Did you see in verse 24? Jesus says, if you do not believe, I am, you will indeed die in your sin. Back in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And and there are a number of um, such sayings in John's Gospel um, where he makes those I am statements, aren't there? We've seen I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth. But if you look at verse 24, Jesus just says, you see that? I am. And again, it's subtle, it's um, implied perhaps, But actually, Jesus, by declaring, I am, is identifying himself with the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh. Remember in Exodus, 
um, chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord God tells Moses, when Moses asks his name, says, I am who I am. So if his listeners and the Pharisees so far have proved stubborn, and they will continue to do, to, to do so, fail to understand, acknowledge who Jesus is, they cannot follow him to the Father. The hard truth is that unless they have faith in Jesus, they will die in their sins. And maybe that is what prompts a question to Jesus in verse 25. Do you see that in verse 25? Who are you? This is quite extraordinary, isn't it? You know, the, the Pharisee, the teachers of law, the scribes, the chief priests, you know, these were the people who were to shepherd God's people, Israel. You know, the prophets, the law, they're all pointing to the light of the world, to the Father, God's anointed one, the Christ. And yet, you know, and they'd heard about the miracles, which the first one was way back in chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana. And they'd seen and heard all of these things, and yet still, deliberately, willfully or not, asking, who are you? You know, all of Scripture points to one who's standing right in front of them. And I said this was a gracious warning. Warning, nonetheless. And I think we can see that in um, the next two verses. Have a look at 26 and 27. See, Jesus tells those listening those verses, he's not come to judge, not yet. He will, but not yet. Jesus has come from the Father who sent him with the Father's authority to tell the world of a rescue that comes by putting your trust, by faith in Jesus. They still don't understand the Pharisee. They still don't understand the message that Christ, that Jesus is telling them. And we see that in verse 27. So when will they understand? Take a look at 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am he, that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. We see in verse 30, a number do believe. But they will know, the Pharisee, the teachers of the law, they will know when Jesus is crucified. Quite a long time ago now, um, at work, I had the rather grandiose title of officer in charge, which is one of the jobs no one wanted. And if you work in the public sector, you can tell the grander the job title, the less significant your job is. But one of the things I, um, well, I don't know, I was always tipped off about when we we're going to have a fire drill uh, by the guy in the foyer downstairs. I'm not sure if he was meant to, but anyway, he did. So, you know, the fire alarm went off. We were on the third floor in Peterborough. It looked fantastic view across the fens. The sun rises and the sun went down. But it could be in the winter pretty cold. You know, the wind coming across the fens from Siberia, probably. So, anyway, we had these fire drills. The fire alarms went off and we were on the third floor and everybody sort of rushed down. There were only two stairwells. I honestly think, I do know a little bit about buildings. I wonder how 
how many of us would have actually got out, considering how quickly, but anyway, I didn't tell anybody that. I mean, but, you know, the thing was, it just surprised me when, you know, the fire alarm went off, how many people just sat there still, you know, still on the phone or still on their sort of um, computer or just chatting away. It just didn't jolt them into action. Um, I say, because we probably had to sort of go across the green, across the road, and, you know, if it's wet and cold or snowing, it's, you know. But, you know, that was a warning. Everybody should have leapt up, but people were fussing about trying to get their coat, you know, making sure they got their sandwiches, all this sort of thing. And yet, you know, we see here, don't we, a warning from Jesus, a gracious warning, you know. And I guess as we've looked at this passage, you know, surely our motivation you know, should be to tell people about Christ, to tell people that good news about Jesus Christ. Um, We know Almighty God is sovereign in salvation. It's the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. But we are called to, you know, play our role. You know, faith comes through hearing, hearing the gospel, that good news about Jesus. And, you know, if you are a Christian today, then someone's loved you sufficiently do just that, to tell you about the God, or point to someone who can. Um, and I guess there's two dangers, aren't there? Either one, we become indifferent, um, you know, it just seems a bit too hard, a bit awkward, or else others, you know, they've shared the gospel, they've prayed for someone to become a Christian, and just nothing seems to change. And in their despair, they kind of give up. Um, and I don't know, you might be which sort of end of the spectrum, yeah, I have an unpleasant feeling it's probably the former for me. I'm not sure I love people sufficiently to do that. But, you know, when we consider this gracious warning we see here, um, it is a warning. Christ will return and he will judge. Um, So, just remember, a gracious invitation to come to the light of the world, Jesus but also a gracious warning. Why don't we pray?